Hello and welcome to episode three of the Creative Isle podcast. Today we chat to Ireland's entrepreneur Simon Davis from White Salt, who's created a range of naturally and sustainably produced sea salt based products with seawater from Ventnor. Uh, so Simon, thank you very much for agreeing to come on to the podcast. You're very um, welcome. I'm sure our listeners will find your business very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and learning a bit about you and I can't wait to find out more about you and the story behind the business so tell me a bit about yourself well um, Scout I basically was brought up in Kent and I did a degree in music uh, so that I could do teaching and uh, peripatetic teaching and sorts of things um, I had 20 years in Somerset and I moved back into the island um, and I wanted something else to do. Unfortunately, I had a, a split up in my marriage and midlife crisis and all that. Um, and I looked around and I noticed that no one was doing sea salt. And that was because I watched a television program about sea salt, which prompted me to think that. And it just intrigued me. I thought, I'd like to have a go at that. Now, just to fill you in a bit more of the background, my father was a farmer in Kent, so I was used to... Uh, going on the farm milking cows with him and arable and a livestock. So I've got my upbringing really in twin poles in music and farming. And actually, when I look at it, sea salt isn't so different from farming. You're actually farming the sea. Absolutely. So um, really, it's taken from that. Um, I did some very early experiments where I was literally taking the water and putting it into trays to see it evaporate. I was boiling it. I was doing all sorts of things. And then I realized very quickly that I couldn't boil it because I've been boiling several thousand liters of water, which probably isn't, <laughs> it's not going to work on the electricity bill. Um, so no. I looked at solar methods. I looked at what was going on um, in other places. For example, in the Mediterranean, they literally dry the salt from landlocked sites where they bring the sea in close it off and let it evaporate. And of course they have a much more consistent climate generally over there. So that allows them to, you know, to harvest the salt at various points without sort of constant rain. Otherwise that would obviously dissolve it again. Um, so for underneath the poly in Yafford, um, friends who had some land behind some mushroom sheds where they where they live basically that I was allowed to uh, lease out leveled it all off and built the salt tanks and put polytunnel over the top and away we go oh fantastic so were you living on the island when you um came up with this idea or were you still in Kent um oh sorry big I'll backtrack a bit I was in Kent I went okay Two stories. Went to, I was in Kent, went to the Isle of Wight in uh, 1988, and my parents moved there um, with me, of course. Uh, spent four years on the Isle of Wight till the early 90s, moved off, yep. then went to Somerset, and then came back. So I had a good grounding. My family had been on the Isle of Wight since 1988, just to give you an idea. Okay. I Kent. So, um, so, yes, I came back to the island, and I knew quite a few people anyway, and that's one of the reasons I returned to the island, because my mother lives lived here oh nice so it's sort of the second home to you when you came back. oh very much so um actually i'd say i fell in love with the island we were going on holiday probably since 
about 1980, when I was about 10 years old. We were coming to the island every year. Yeah. So I, I ended up cycling. I'm a keen cyclist. So I cycled right around the island when I was in my teens and got to know it extraordinarily well because we came here used to twice a year and we made the decision to move here as a family back in sort of mid-80s. So we, we came in mid-80s. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an absolutely beautiful place. So I fell in love with it. So I would call it home. <laughs> yeah. And whereabouts on the island do you base yourself? Obviously, you've got the polytunnels for the business in Yatford. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm in um, I'm in Ventnor, uh, and okay. I do a lot of the operations of drying in in Ventnor myself. So you know, I've got the sort of twin commercial residential premises, so I can actually get on with the drying yeah. of the salt and the jarring up and all the sort of thing, the food safe environment. Um, but obviously. For producing the salt, you need to have the land. You need to have access. You know, you need to be able to put it in sh large, shallow trays. Good principle about this is when you're on a very hot day, if you see a shallow puddle, and you come back a few hours later, it's gone, hasn't it? Because the water's been evaporated yeah. by the sunlight, and that's really as simple as it gets. That's what I'm doing with the seawater, putting it in giant sort of puddles. It's slightly more than that, but you know, very, very shallow depth and then leaving it sort of a week or so and coming back and sweeping up with a rubber squeegee all the sea salt that's actually left behind. Yeah, so I suppose the larger surface area you have, the easier it is to evaporate the water. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, I, I did, if you had, um, yeah, I mean, we're talking here about 20 feet by 100 feet and five separate tanks. Um, that makes it more manageable than one big long tank in case it sinks in one area or something and then you have a nightmare on your hands. So I've got five separate tanks yeah. all, with a, all with a food safe liner down, um, a very special yeah. liner. And it's like a sort of pond liner, only it doesn't leach chemicals. It's got a sort of 25 new year or 20 year UV protected um, system on it. And it's used by one or two other uh, sea salt companies. There's one in Scotland on the Isle of Skye that uses the same liner. In fact, they pointed me in the same direction for it, which is really good. Um, and literally, it's just putting in uh, very finely filtered seawater uh, into those tanks. And then in this weather, for example, go up and you've got sea salt in a matter of a very few days. OK, so it's quite a quick process if, if, if it's, you know, if it's sunny outside. If it's sunny outside, I mean, the teething problems that I've had, Scout, have been basically all through, we've had a very, very... Uh, cloudy and rainy winter, haven't we? And yeah, it's been exceptionally oh, wet. I mean, literally, I had my worst production ever over Christmas. I mean, uh, obviously, what we're into now <laughs> is not particularly great for yeah. business. But um, I, I, you know, literally all through December, January, I, I literally the longest ever stay was making salt over two months. It took two months for one lot to turn around, and you're thinking that's about three days in the summer, just to put it in perspective. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's just sitting there, gradually evaporating, because everything yeah. always does evaporate eventually, but uh, it wasn't happening. <laughs> it wasn't happening. <laughs> no. So, um, let's sort of go back to the start of the business. Um, you decided to call it White Salt. Mm. You couldn't have picked a more iconic name if you tried. Where did you... Um, what sort of was your idea behind that? Did, was it the first thing you thought of? Or? Not far off. I, I, I can't quite remember the thought process behind it, but I think it probably would have been the first thing or one of the first things. Um, I, I like to keep things simple. I have worked in marketing a bit. And white salt, it's a play on 
words really because the salt is actually a pure white people say oh, salt is white isn't it well actually if you look at some other sea salts they're not they're quite translucent um and yeah. they're opaque or whatever you know so this is pure white um and the isle of white is white w-i-g-h-t so i thought I'd just call it white salt i thought naming it the isle of white sea salt company is a bit too verbose keep it snappy keep yeah. it simple um it's great for a website name as well isn't it so you know yeah, no, you've, uh, and uh, as far as I'm aware, you're the only person uh, producing um, natural sea salt on the island. It is. is right? I think it's a bit like probably with the garlic farm and probably with other places like that. You wouldn't start, I mean, I'm sure people might produce little bits here and there, but I mean, in, uh, in vegetables and things like that, but not on that scale. And certainly with salt, it's unique um, to the area. So it's the same with Cornish, same with mold and same with other places they don't tend to do copycats in the same county because in essence what you're actually doing is duplicating someone else's method or someone else's effort yeah. and you, you you're not producing a different salt so it'd be a bit ridiculous and counterproductive to do it you know absolutely yeah so sea um Extracting sea salt from the sea, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, this is something that's been done many, many, many years ago. And obviously, until you've come around to bringing it back to mm. life, um, it hasn't been done. Am I right in thinking the last time it was done on the island was probably in the 19th century um, in, in places like Newtown? Yeah, you're Creek. absolutely correct. Um, there's a very long history prior to... Um, the 1930s when it stopped in Newtown um, with National Trust Centre there, although rather small centre, isn't there? But it shows the landlocked lakes, if you like, where they used to produce yeah. it, where they used to actually get the water in them and evaporate it all off as far as they could, but then bring it up in wind turbines. So you go a bit of wind power yeah. and um, boil it off in large copper pans, great big copper pans. And there's a coal fire underneath and the sultan the job would be to pour in an inch or two of water and skim off the salt as the water is steamed off. Because if you put too much water in, it's a bit like boiling a kettle, you know, an immersion heater, it'd take a long time to do it. And you'd waste all that coal underneath because you're doing it that way. Um, what they want to do yeah. is keep producing salt and keep pouring bits of water in. So a sultan's duties, they would say eight hour shift or whatever they used to do. I think it was eight hour shifts. Uh, they'll be given a house that you know for their wife and children, and they'll basically go in there and literally be pouring light the fire underneath the copper pot, pour in the water, skim off the salt, um, and then repeat process. And a skilled sultan was one who didn't take his eye off the ball, he just kept on pouring that water in. Now, Limington and Limington Spit and Pennington, all around that area, and the Isle of Wight, Southerly were the biggest producing regions in the entire UK for about two centuries. And the reason being is that they were protected by the storm. So in other words, the Isle of Wight protects Lymington because, of course, you've got, you know, not the open sea, as it were. Um, and yeah, it's yeah, like a barrier from the And they were producing channel. tons. Now, on my website, uh, www.whitesalt.co.uk, if you look under the history section, I've got a, a timeline from the doomsday kind of book era right the way through to modern day myself of course but showing what happened around that region and it's something that I'm looking to explore even further 
get worksheets out to schools and all sorts of things like that, along with the tournaments, which can go into a little bit later. But, but particularly the history, it's rich with history and it should really, or it deserves a big shout out. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I certainly find it very interesting. So with the salt, um, obviously we all need salt in our diet to maintain a, yeah. a healthy diet. Um, but what are, you know, what, what are you mainly producing the salt for? Is it for food um, or is it for other things as well? And what are the benefits? It's for food. Okay, so sea salt. It's a funny description in a way because um, obviously it's from the sea and then people look at table salt and they say, oh, that's table salt, that's mines, that's different. It's all sea salt. The difference is that the salt that comes from underground or mined was once the sea. So we're talking about many millions of years ago. What's happened is that the salt that was mined, and by the way, that's the chief thing that destroyed the salt industry as it was, because they discovered they could mine the salt from Cheshire. So rather than getting it from the sea and boiling it all off, huge business, by the way, the old-fashioned salt business, the tax laws, there were many, many battles there, because if you owned a salter, oh my goodness me, you were a pretty wealthy man. I mean, bankers would be involved in owning salters. Because it's a, it was a product that was needed. But just, yeah. to, just to go back to the original point there, though, um, sea salt that is mined or is then goes through a process of cleaning it, as it were, because it's probably been underground, fair enough. Um, and it's essentially stripped of all the extra content around it, like the trace elements of potassium, iodine, etc. Something like about 50 or so different trace elements. And then an anti-caking agent is added, um, which, like sodium hexaferrocyanide, which doesn't sound nice, does it? Um, And it it makes it run very smoothly. So if you pick up normal table salt and you sort of, you use it, it basically is very fine, isn't it? And that's what causes it to stop caking. Now, that isn't particularly good for you, and I don't think anybody would, I think most people would agree it isn't good for you. Sea salt that's been made from the sea, my sea salt is completely natural. It's not given any chemical input whatsoever, and it's dried off naturally. Um, It is very good for you. I make it in food, yes, at the moment. I've got some ideas for other things, which I'm not going to go into now, but I need to up the production, which I'm doing right now, you know, to to be able to make more salts so that I could use it for, say, bath salts, for example, or something else like that. But that's a development over a period of time. So, yeah, I'm going to be hell-bent on doing that at some point. But at the moment, it's getting the numbers up and getting people involved in our island sea salt and enjoying it. Absolutely, yeah. So your your mm. salt, Chris, mm. obviously I've, I've tried, uh, I've sampled um, mm. white salt. We've got a little tester pot that you kind of gave yeah. us in our kitchen that we quite often pin- take a pinch from the crystals yeah. are considerably bigger than the t- table salt as they come I'm doing it literally as they come I mean you know um, it's best to put in a grinder the, the, the table salt is where it's been pretty much ironed out the crystal well I'm not even to be fair to you I don't even know how the table salt is presented before it has the anti-caking agent in it because I'm not quite aware of those processes, but it's certainly not natural yeah. in that sense. So mine is completely natural, yeah, but it's just literally 
as the salt is on the liner, it's swept up with the rubber squeegee and it's dried out in food dehydrators and sold literally as it is. And I think it's just a nice thing because people can then decide whether to sprinkle it in the fingers, you know, in the food, or if they don't want to do that, they can put it in the grinder. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's quite interesting, really. It's, mm. it's basically mm. a completely natural process. Solar. And I suppose it's it's quite sustainable because you know well, it's it solar driven. Water. It's purely solar driven. Apart from the diesel in my Land Rover to be able to transport the water, which I've um, put into tubs and up to Yafford, and a bit of electricity for the uh, food dehydrators, yeah. um, which I have to do because if I literally took it out of the polytunnels, even though it's dried off a bit and it gets warm, it's still going to cake to the fingers. You want it to be so that you can sprinkle it on and it's not going to stick to your fingers or whatever. Um, it's But the actual drying part of it, the actual processing part of it, I should say, if you want to call it processing, is solar. That's it, solar power. Okay, so that's, that's brilliant. So in terms of um, Absolutely. the environment, Absolutely. it's a very I mean, friendly uh, business. I'd like to make it more and more friendly as I can. If we get an electric vehicle or something like that, would be fantastic. But, you know, as and when... Um, but it, I mean, you imagine the amount of energy. You imagine, you know, boiling a kettle takes a few watts, doesn't it? If you bought, they got a tea urn, which would be 20 litres, you know, an old fashioned tea yeah. urn that they have in village halls. Um, you put that on, that's going to be quite a bit. You imagine a thousand litres of water. And not only are you boiling that, you're having to boil it till it's dry. That's not, <laughs> that's going to be quite yeah. mad. <laughs> Yeah, uh, a lot of power. Be a lot of power. A lot of power, Scout. And um, uh, other other salt companies, they do that. Now, I'm not knocking anyone's methods because I'm I'm pro sea salt. Full stop. I'm not. I, I, you know, I celebrate sea salt, but it must cost them quite a lot of money because they put it in great big sort of pressure cooker type things where they're forcing the um, the water out and leave to leave the salt pretty much behind. Um, and what I decided very on early on was I wanted to do something that was eco and was something that was exciting, not something where, you know, I'm, I'm in a lab, you know, with about 30 other people wearing a white coat sort of for 12 hours a day. Um, to me, I wanted to do something that was sustainable in, in a different sort yeah. of way. Um, the other thing I would say is the taste seems to be different because it's, you've got the trace elements on there. They haven't, you know, they haven't been sort of boiled off, so to speak. You've got the, because it's been dried naturally and the temperature in the polytunnels gets up to around about 50 degrees in the summer, would you believe it? Um, but so you can imagine the heat in there, it causes evaporation quite quickly. Even now it'd be quite, quite warm when the sun's out. Um, but it means that the trace elements, all those extra bits involved to make the salt tasty as well, effectively, uh, stay on there. So people have described white salt as having a very, very distinctive even slightly sweet taste, which sounds bizarre when you describe it with salt, but it's got a it's got a unique flavour of its own. Yeah, no, I I do find uh, it tastes um, tastes definitely tastes different to your standard table salt, and you know whenever we're looking to add a sprinkle of salt, whether it's on top of a jacket potato or 
Yeah. I've even sprinkled it on a bit of salad well, this, with a this bit of, thought, um, lemon this, juice, which is quite nice. Oh, God, yeah, this is why I thought about um, the sprays. Really you know, tasty. The, the white salt sprays, we've got lime flavour with sea salt and lime and chilli flavour. Essentially, I'm using freshly squeezed lime and freshly squeezed lime and essential oil of chilli, which is food grade. Um, and I wanted to do something different to flavoured salts because flavoured salts, for the most part, are where you've got salt sitting alongside a herb. It's it, a, a crystal cannot integrate something because it's a locked in thing all of its own that's why you can't pollute the crystal effectively uh, the crystal crystal um not pollutes the wrong the crystal sort of sanitizes other things um rather than the other way around because it's not a food it's mineral so essentially by dissolving sea salt into lime juice you've then got a situation where you amplify the lime because um what salt does is it brings out flavor it draws out the flavor and it also preserves it as well. So the sprays are like a sort of preservative and um, a great tasting uh, condiment to put on you know, fish and salads and chicken or whatever you like. Yeah, so what was the inspiration behind um, the sprays? Because um, I've, I don't think I've ever um, had a <coughs> well, wasn't spray before I mean, I've tried I've, yours. I've, I've, I hadn't come across anything at all and um, I think what I did was I I get flashes of inspiration maybe it's I don't know why I do but I think sometimes I think hang on a minute how would that taste so I got I got one of those uh, travel bottles from Boots with a spray thing on it um, and I started off with lemon and it was a little bit too tart and then I put lime in there because lime's quite a rounded sort of flavor isn't it um, and then I added some sea salt and I thought, wow, when you spray this, this salty lime, it's kind of really potent and it's um, strangely Moorish. <laughs> well, then I thought, well, if it's actually Moorish, yeah. then it's got to be done, isn't it? So I made it up and I, I put some white crystal spring yeah, water in there as well. Now, the reason is I'm, you have to, you know, I want it to go through the atomizer and not get clogged up. And I also didn't want it to be absolutely so kind of over the top as well. Um so I'm trying to get the balance where you spray it onto food and you get this lovely lime lift with sea salt on it. And on fish, it, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, yeah. then adding the chilli oil to it, it gives it some pungency and heat. Yeah, absolutely. I can, oh, uh, yes. I, well, I, the thing I, is, I can what feel would be really nice going in now. the next couple of years or so is to get that so that people can have fish and chips with a lime or a lime and chilli white salt spray because it really does it doesn't actually make the the batter yeah. wet because it's a mist all over it so rather than kind of soaking it or dousing it um obviously if you're into vinegar you ain't going to move one over <laughs> but you could away. my mother um bless her um yeah uh, who's sadly no longer with us she um passed away last year but she's hugely supportive in what i did and supported me every way she possibly could and she used to love putting the sprays on the fish and chips um because it lifted it so much oh this is so much imagine having a chili fish and chips oh, with, you know that chili flavor with it as with lime it just it gives a real pungency to it yeah lovely yeah so when uh when did you uh, start not very long actually it, scale, it seems like it i planned you? it in 2017 um and i started june I think, yeah, it was June in 2018. So it's only actually been going a year and, say, okay. eight months, nine months, uh, which isn't a huge amount of time, you know? 
Um, no, it's not, but it's going mm. really well. I mean, um, I've seen your products in various stores on the island, and you seem to be in there, there with most of getting, the I mean, restaurants the, and cafes. Like, like the garlic farm has been tremendously helpful, beautifully wonderful to me, um, stocking it and the sprays and everything. Because I'm also doing a pick a lily as well, um, which, again, I did it very specifically, not because I thought, oh, shall I make plum jam or pick a lily or marmalade or something? It wasn't along those decisions, because where's the relevance in the salt, you know? Um, with pick a lily, it's all the vegetables, you know, cauliflower, broccoli and green beans, chilli, uh, red onions, that type of thing. They're all brined in seawater, you know, filled with seawater, the same... So it goes through the same process I do just before I'm about to tip it to the tanks for the salt, so it's thoroughly clean. And... What happens is when you put those vegetables in that water, the salt draws out those flavours. So I can have a whole load of these vegetables in a big plastic container, huge bin, if you like, um, soaked in seawater. And you, you you start smelling it. Think, oh, my God, after a couple of days, you've got this really intense, gorgeous smell coming out. And so when I make the pickle lily up, um, which has garlic from the garlic farm as well, and sort of other things, oregano, fruits and all sorts of things in it. it it's very pungent and it's seawater brined. Um, so that, that that product went flying off the shelves over Christmas oh, nice. and I'm hoping it'll do it later on in the year. So um, everyone's embraced it really well and I don't intend on becoming an emporium of like 50 different products because I think you end up, for me, that wouldn't be the goal. It's to do a few things very, very, very well and manageable. And all the retailers on the island have been absolutely fantastic. Farmer Jacks, as I said, shout out to them as well as the Garlic Farm and other places, you know, it, all, over, all over, all the usual, like Brown Rigs as well. And, you know, uh, Bridlesford Farm have been amazing. Um, and uh, your neck of the whistling, uh, Yarmouth Deli as well. A piano Cafe, of course. Piano Cafe have been stocking them. Um, so, you know, if it helps other people to make some money yeah. for their businesses as well, which is what it's all about, we all need to do that to keep it all going, then fantastic, you know. Yeah, brilliant. It's uh, really great to hear that uh, you've well, got yeah, it into absolutely. so many different I'll, places and that people have it, been very What's going helpful. on now is very tough for a lot of people, including me. I've grown to a halt. Um, I'm having to do diversify on other things and do some music and editing and things like that it's not, you know i'm just having to do whatever i can to survive we're all in the same boat but i'm hugely optimistic because we will come back you've got to keep that optimism all businesses have to even when you think oh goodness me what on earth's going to happen don't project too far ahead like three months ahead it's it, because it's it's actually managing whatever you can do every day and you know we will come back to a thriving island um food community and what's interesting is all the little shops that can do like five a day in Ventnor for example and uh, it's about time in Shanklin I, I only cite those because they're close to me um, but they're going flat out you know to help people through this pandemic um, there's Farmer Jacks is still open you know places, places that can be open I might add because some places aren't allowed to be the places that are allowed to be the major food places are open including farm yeah. shops so definitely support those people because you know you know they are the lifeblood and you know as we even go into brexit as well become a bit more self-sufficient um we need those places and they're being absolutely amazing oh, that's brilliant it's um 
it's terms like this when uh, you can see that sense of community really putting together. I agree. Um, I agree. Perhaps in a way it's, that we've never seen it's before. It's a shame in some ways, but never mind that. It, the, the, the adversity, it needs adversity, sorry, to bring out those qualities sometimes. Um, but wherever you get this sort of adversity, you get people actually doing some really amazing things. And the media often reports all the bad news stories, as we always know. But there's so much good being done out there. There really is, you know, I just sit all day, every day with people say, oh, you know, I can get your prescription or I can do this, I can do that. Oh, oh, you need a bit of help with the shopping. You know, obviously maintaining the two metre distance and all that sort of stuff, but going out of their way to really help. And I'm proud of people. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it is, it is, it mm. is nice in times like this to see mm people doing things like that and um i don't know whether it's very much an isle of Wight thing you know people often comment on all that people are so friendly down here but i'd like to I'd think, think that it's you know, across the world right um, now it's the, we're an island we feel passionately that. about it and um i think all of a sudden now everyone's in the same boat um and it's meaning that yeah. We all want to help each other out with resources because it does nobody any good if one other person is in trouble. You know, we just want to help people. Um, and, and we are getting getting that. It's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Going back to the products, I've just got a couple more questions, if that's okay, with regards to um, the products. And it's um, when yeah. you... Uh, come up with a new concept um, you've mentioned you know you don't want to have 50 different products you want to have a select few yes. products that you've got absolutely just right um, that you can manage what is the process in terms of um, trialing the uh, the products putting it out there and seeing what the response is do you just pretty um, much pretty much offer it to, um, yeah. friends and offer it, offer it family, to people in the or, industry um, as well i mean one or two friends yeah. as well yeah but they have to be people who have a critical awareness because you don't you don't want comments like oh well, that's nice yeah you know <laughs> you know it's not it's got to be people who would give an opinion and when they think it's good you actually know that they think it's good and also they're qualified you know, I mean, everyone's got pace buds but yeah okay. friends who are chefs friends who are in the industry as well as close confidence people also people that you know who can cook really well um who just have a real appreciation of food so the piccalilli i trialed actually yeah. a year before would you believe into 2018 um and it was in little pots um and people said oh you must make this again and i thought well i've got so much on at the moment um and my poor dear mama health was failing um so i thought i'll leave it because it is a bit time intensive and did it for the next christmas so i had done some tests there with the sprays i've done some tests as well you know gave them to chefs and friends and people also the keep factor particularly with something like the sprays it doesn't need to be put in the fridge um but you need to test that assumption as well <laughs> you know because the food industry didn't have a clue well they just said yeah well we don't know about <laughs> lime and salt but you know um gave me an idea you know say six months or so you know um but yeah. you, you have to tweak that you know and you can see if something's gone off anyway can't you if it's a glass bottle and things like that you can usually you know so you have to sort of go through a little bit of trial with something new but generally things like pick a lilies and things like that you've got to 
uh, you've already got a head start because you can look at what the guidelines are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Well, um, what, aside from the business, is obviously, yeah. you know, you're very, you're clearly very passionate about the business. And um, like you say, you, you tend to get these light bulb moments with yeah. new ideas for new products and, and whatnot. Uh, do you have any other hobbies aside from um, aside from the business? Oh gosh, yeah. I do, I do a lot of I practice, so a lot of piano I've and playing, concerts. Playing and um, I was due to do the Beethoven uh, a Beethoven concert recital at uh, Ventnor Arts Club, and some other ones during the year because it's the um, 250th anniversary of Beethoven's birth. And I was originally trained as a musician, um, uh, as a pianist, so. That's something that's coming out, but I'm having plenty of time practicing at home, I can tell you. <laughs> so um, that's, I mean, obviously I play piano at the Spyglass and, and the Piano yeah. Cafe fairly regularly when they're open. Quite a lot of jazz and all sorts of, all sorts of different genres. Yeah. So to me, that's, I just love doing that. And I maintain practice as well because it's, it's like a sort of, oh, I say, that's my relaxation. I don't really sit down and watch the television, I know. <laughs> God, bit... <laughs> I'm, I'm a classic nerd in that way. I just love to um, immerse myself in no, it's, it's um, a Schubert or a Beethoven Sonata or something like that, rather than watching what's on TV or whatever. And unless, of course, it's a documentary or it's maybe Netflix or something. But I'm usually doing musical things or cooking. Um, I just love cooking as well. Just enjoy. Yeah. yeah well, no. Mm. Mm. I mean, that's very much what this podcast um, is all about in one respect. It's, you know, it's called the Creative Isle, and it's we're meeting all these amazing creative people. Well, you know what? Come up with businesses, come to the... or they've got a hobby yeah. or a passion, um, and it's all about yeah. you know using your creativity and how you apply that in your life. And I'm noticing that you know a lot of these people. Well, no, I'm, I'm not the absolutely. I'm like not sit down and watch lots of telly. You know, well, I just look at life as being something the they to embrace. Into. Both your hands, really embrace it. And I've come to the conclusions thus far that creativity is about an attitude of mind if you say oh i'm not very creative with things it's finding what you are so if you're cooking something it's or whatever you're doing it's being engaged with it and the process now that makes it creative when you just do something yeah. and you're switching off and not really doing it and it's just functional that makes it less creative if you see what i'm saying um so it's it's, it's all more about the process it's it's like the end yeah. result is the end result is what it is, and obviously that's down to your own judgment throughout the process to produce something, you know, on a sliding scale of how good it is. But it's it's about the engagement. Then in turn, that's about the enjoyment, and then you get discerning. So I think most people, could, or anybody actually, could train themselves to be more creative and more and more creative, particularly if they don't think they are in cooking or whatever. And I'm going to be doing. Um, something on Facebook, which I mentioned to you uh, the other day, called What Are We Eating in Lockdown? Um, uh, hopefully that's going to be in the next week or so, because we've got a little while of this to come, haven't we? Um, and it's going to involve myself and a chef yeah. um, and fitness instructors and people like fitness instructors, because they go hand in hand with food and you know attitudes. But it's not just about, I'm not going to go on about, salt and why it's good for you and all the rest of it <laughs> it's more about attitudes towards food and attitudes towards you know what we're eating and how we're going to basically come up with some nice food and really i'm going to leave it 
mostly to chefs and people to discuss and possibly have it on a phone-in basis. Yeah, no, that'd be uh, mm. that'd be interesting. And again, that's you using your creativity, um, <clears throat> thinking right. Well, well yeah, absolutely. And also, if we you know, eat really good food, it's it. not necessarily that expensive. We cook properly. We don't need to eat very much. That's you know, it's that you don't exactly. You don't feel yeah. like you have absolutely have to. There's nothing wrong with eating chocolate exactly. and crisps here and there, but it's it's the old eighty twenty rule, isn't it? Eighty percent of the time, you need to be having things that are nutritious for your body and then you, if you keep doing that your body actually thinks well you know actually i'm not really bothered about having a load of crisps and stuff in my face because i've had all the a good quality injection of fuel yeah you know this morning uh, this morning i'd um, well basically i had avocado yeah, on toast um half an avocado so that would have been the avocado cost a pound so yeah. it would be 50 pence on a pot slice of toast well, a couple of slices of toast, actually, because half an avocado is quite a lot. Um, you know, sometimes I have cornflakes. I mean, I'm not, you know, it's, it, yeah. but it's all sorts of things. But it's making sure that you get that nutrition and quality nutrition in your body. So when you go to a supermarket, you use carrots, there's all sorts of things out, you know, broccoli, cauliflower, things like that. Go home, make your own pick and mix of it, cut the florets up, put them in, boil them up. The other day, I had a reduced fish pie from Tesco's. There we go. Um, and I had broccoli, carrots, and uh, peas with it. It's a blinding. Spot on. So it's not necessarily always, as, as I say, about cooking every single time. You can look, yeah. think, oh, there's a fish pie in there. So I'll sell by that. I'll oh, grab that. Great. I'll get that. And But I'll have it with some fresh veg. Yeah. Thank you. Well, listen, it's been, um, it's been really great to speak to you, to... Um learn about the business um hopefully people are going to find that quite interesting and to understand that um way of life it's more than just a business Mm. for you you know you're clearly passionate about it yeah it's a way of life and you're clearly applying your creativity with you know coming up with new products yeah um to to complement the others um and you know you're, you're clearly doing really well with it so despite what we're going through at the moment um I wish you all the best, and I'm sure you're brilliant. Right Thank you, also, and yourself. You know, wonderful uh, business that you've got started off. Very, I mean, that's a hugely imaginative <laughs> tuk tuks, um, and obviously, just a tiny bit. Yeah, I, I can't. I can see that yeah, as no, a mainstay. But brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Scout. Uh, it's a, a pleasure and an honour to be part of this. <laughs>